to be here. Uh, what a great session, eh? Um, yeah. Do you want to carry on? <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so tomorrow morning, uh, I'm going to be speaking about uh, a culture of grace. And I believe it's so, so important that as a church here, our own in Horsham and uh, our area where we've got a few congregations, the importance of being a people of grace and what does that actually look like in reality, in, in practice, uh, in especially in relation to reaching out and people's perception of how they think Christians are and what they think the church is like. Um, and someone's perception is their reality. Uh, whether we like that or not, um, if somebody has a perception of something in their mind, that's their reality. And uh, of, of who you are, who I am, who we are. And um, so having this culture of grace is so uh, important. And we'll speak about it tomorrow, but it, it's what it does for everybody in the church as much as it does for those that are coming into the church or come into contact with who we are. Uh, in in that way, um, so we'll 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 kind of hit that tomorrow morning, and some of that will be really relevant for people in the room in terms of some of the things we might touch on, um, but it's relevant for everybody in terms of what the world needs uh, in that way. So this session, I'm just gonna um, I, I don't know if you ever have to speak or, or do things, but um, sometimes when you prepare for things, you just Right, yeah, right, thank you, Lord. There's a download, and boom, there you go. And we're not the kind of people that just go through our notes and pick sermon four. All right, we'll do that there. Sermon six, we'll do it there. Well, we just don't operate like that. Um, but I've got some various notes or things God's been saying to me over the summer, and there's just a few bits and pieces, if I can put it that way, that I felt were right just to share with you. I, I don't know really what God wants to do with it or how he wants to do but off the back of what Jane was bringing. So the focus of it is going to be about intimacy. Um, but I just want to say one or two other things before we, we get into that and what God wants to do. Um, we've been, we, we are going through uh, a period of time that no one's experienced before uh, in our nation and many nations and most world leaders, if not all of them, don't really know how to handle it or what to do. Just remove people from the pedestals of their positions and just think about them as normal, everyday people like you and I. It's just that they happen to have, over a period of time, through the career choices they've made and for some the amount of money they have that have got them into those positions or whatever, um, they are trying to deal with the unknown. And there are many people that are not in those roles and positions of authority that could do a far better job um, than the people that are in those positions on one level. I don't know about you, but I know some very clever people in lots of different ways. I think, man, if you were the prime minister or you were this or that, man, there'd be a lot more things sorted, you know. But some of the really... Those people don't want to go in those positions, so you know you don't have that sort of thing happening. But we're in a we're in a uh, 
an ever-changing scenario and it's it's bringing up all kinds of issues in people's lives and <clears throat> whenever there's pressure what it brings out is what is going on in you the true reality of where you are as a person and what is going on in your life and that's what's happening in the world it's just bringing out all of the stuff that is under the surface for a long time you know, we've lived in a pretty comfortable nation in different ways. And it's the last few years, it has shaken a lot of people. And it's interesting in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, we'll just have a quick look at that. Because this is why intimacy, as we're going to look, is so key in our relationship uh, with the Lord and, and then the fruit of that. But let's have a look at this verse for a minute. Um, as As Christians... We know a lot, but it's only what you believe you actually live. So you can know a lot. If I asked you questions about, so what do you believe? What do you believe? What do you believe? You could tell me a lot of things that you believe because you know it here. But the things that you really believe are the things that you live. The things that you believe are your true convictions. So what does Paul say to Timothy here? He says here, um, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work or for every scenario that, that it comes across. But it's verse 14. You had the same thing here as we have in our church as has been happening in, I would say, every church pretty much. Some people have just not come back. Now, what I mean by that is not just come back on a Sunday. They just have found something else to do with their time and their life. Or they might have found something better to do on a Sunday morning or, or whatever. Distractions in through the last few years. Some have just disappeared off the planet. And it's not because of lack of, how are you? How are you doing? What's going on? For some reason, they've switched off. Others... New people have just turned up from nowhere. Mainly, they've connected online for a few weeks or a few months. Then they show up on a Sunday, for example, thinking, hey, how are you? Have we met before? No, this is the first time I've been. Hey, what's your name? You know, are you, you know, no, I'm, I'm already part of this church. This is just the first time I've come to be with everybody. Oh, right, you've already decided. Yeah, I decided a few weeks ago, but this is the first opportunity I've had to be here. You've had that. We've had that. I know a lot of other churches that have had that. And so it's, it's before COVID, we wouldn't have even thought about that. We thought they'll check us out online, then turn up and then check us out a bit more and then decide, no, I want to go somewhere else. <laughs> or they might stay, all right? Um, now, uh, chatting to a friend of ours who's, who's a leader, we were chatting about this verse, and he spoke on this actually, and then we were talking about it. He said it's interesting how 
before COVID, if you'd said the same thing, so what do you believe? What do you believe? What do you believe? People say, oh, I believe this and that and the other. Now, coming out of COVID and then going through a whole nother set of scenarios, which we're all facing in different ways at the moment in our nation, what he said was, and what the word says here, is Paul says, continuing what you have learned, but have become convinced of. So the things that you're living now are the things that were your convictions before the pressure came or before challenges were about. Maybe there have been some things that you knew here, but over this time, because of decisions you've made in the face of challenge and pressure, now have become convictions in your life. But there are others that would say, oh, these are my convictions, these are my core values in my life, but yet the challenge of COVID and whatever related to that, now scenarios we're going through. Some people are they're, they're making decisions in their life that are not in line with what they say were their convictions because they're not real convictions. They're just, well, I know this, but it's not strong enough in my life to stick to that any longer, so I'm going to pull back from certain things. And you can see in people's lives where they're pulling back. Or you can see that you might not know exactly what they're doing, but you can see mm, they're pulling back. They're on the fringe of things. Or, well, I'm too busy for this now. I'm too busy for that. Whereas a couple of years ago, you were one of the core people in, or seemed to be in the life of the church. You were involved in this, serving here, involved in everything. But now other things seem to have... Let me drop this in. One of the biggest challenges at this moment is tithing. Now, tithing is not because the church needs the money. That's not the primary reason. Tithing is about the first fruits of your life in relation to other areas of your life. Money is a, is a, a very obvious way of seeing what your priorities are in your life. Is he first? Time is another one. Where does God fit in your time in the day? Is he first or is he last at the end of it when you might fit in a bit of time because you couldn't fit him in early because you had so many other things to do? Time is another measure of where God is in your life. These are realities. We, we can't, we, we've had a lot, of, a lot of nice Christianity for a long time and now the rubber is hitting the road because there are genuine pressures that we're all facing now. And there's a difference between somebody who says they follow Jesus and somebody who says, I'm a disciple of Jesus. See, a follower goes for all the benefits. I'll turn up, I'll get blessed. Well, let's have a healing meeting. You get loads of people turning up. But if it's a prayer meeting, only the people that really have a heart for the church turn up to pray. I mean, a few might not be able to for practical reasons, right? That's why we still have our prayer meetings online as well as in person. Because we know for some, mainly, and I'm not being for single parents, they're like, can you please carry that on online? Because I can get my kids in bed by eight and I can still join in then. But I can't have babysitters, you know, all the time. But if you start that at eight and do it online as well as in person, I can still join in and be there. Brilliant. Great. Well, we're going to do that. Of course we are. And so what is tithing ultimately about? It's about trust. 
It's not actually about money. It's about trust. Do I trust God in my life that if I show him the fat portion, the first of, to him, that do I believe that then he'll take care of the rest? The rest is blessed as a result. Now, when there's a squeeze, what's the financially, what's the first thing people do? Okay, what can I cut back on? This is a good thing. What do I need to cut back on? What do I need? What is just extra and what is just spend, you know? And what is actually what I really need to do to make sure I'm stewarding what I've got in a right way? If you pull back from the tithe, it's not about money. It's to do with what's going on in here. It's either I know I should tithe or it's a conviction that I tithe because God is first in my life. And he is the first fruit I'm sowing into financially with my time in the way that I love people in that way. And do I trust God that if I continue to give him the first bit, which is his anyway, that he'll look after me in another way? Okay? And I know there's some people in our situation that have pulled back a bit from tithing. Okay? And I can not, I don't, I don't know, I don't look at a list. This is how we operate. I don't look at a list and all of that, right? Um... But there, I, I've noticed some things about certain individuals in our church, and I'm like, what is happening in their lives? Because they've gone off the boil. They've gone off the boil. They're not really, you know, what's happening? Where are they? What's going on? And one of the questions I ask when that happens is, what's, are people still tithing? Are they giving financially? Because that is a symptom of what is going on in here, of other distractions. Okay. So anyway, we move on from that. But it's a key thing. So, but it's, it's trust. So whatever you're facing, just keep tithing. Because that's saying, God, my trust is in you, not in myself and what I need to do to make sure I look after myself. If you continue to go down that road in the right way, God will make sure you're doing okay and you'll have what you need and all of that, right? Um, so this thing, it's just one example of what is a conviction in your, in your life. Now, all of that stems from your relationship with him and what he speaks to you about. So you can have somebody teach you day in, day out, week in, week out, and you can be encouraged, you can be strengthened, you can be built up. But the things that tend to become your core convictions and your values in terms of your relationship with God are the things, whether some of those things you've been taught but it's the things that you discover in here when you spend time with the Lord, where he just speaks to you. Something, the light comes on. There's a moment. You write something down. There's a bit of revelation. Something happens in you at that moment, and the penny begins to drop in you, and, and it moves from knowledge to conviction. It becomes the backbone of, of who you are, okay? Um, so... Um, I just want to read a couple of things, okay? Um, let me just say this. One of the things God said to me, where there's a remnant, there can be revival. Now, what is a remnant? A remnant, partly, is those who believe. Not just those who know, but those who believe. So, disciples in the boat with Jesus, storm comes up, they freak out. They wake him up. What does he do? He's like, guys, what is up with you? 
because he has an inner core conviction. What did he say before the journey? Let us go to the other side. So when he woke up, he's like, guys, okay, it's a bit of a storm, but we're going to get to the other side. His conviction was, the father's not finished with me. He's in control and he's going to look after me. It might be pretty stormy. The waves might look pretty big and there might be some water in the boat, but we're going to get to the other side. It's going to be okay. And this is the difference between when you're facing the reality of symptoms or the reality of a financial squeeze or the reality of fear and anxiety. What is it that begins to come out of our mouths? What is it that we begin to communicate to others? Does the reality of our faith really kick in that on one level can sound even more unreal when the facts say something? Or does the reality of our faith stay true because the convictions of our heart are, no, God's word doesn't change, but it's being challenged because of the facts and the circumstances. So what I know in here, is it a real reality in here? And we're only going to find that out when there is pressure and there is challenge and there's something that needs to be proved in our lives. And for a lot of our Christianity... In, in the West and certainly in our nation, we haven't had the pressure and the challenge to discover whether what, is, what has really been proved in us and worked in us in terms of the word in us being turned over and turned over so that when the pressure comes, what does actually come out of our lives? And this is the moment we're in. And, and we, it's a moment of discovery, which is healthy for us. It's healthy to have pressure and challenge upon us so where there's a remnant there can be revival where there's a remnant there can be restoration when God moves it's always against the odds it's always against the odds Jesus turned up in a culture that was highly religious and then the Roman culture was worse than our modern contemporary culture just read about the Roman culture and what it was like it's far worse than ours is Ours is pretty out there where it's going in, in different ways. But the Roman culture was, was more depraved than ours. And Jesus turns up in a culture that was very depraved, but also a very religious culture. The odds against him succeeding were massive. So that if the church is light, it's, it can only be light in a culture that is dark or a society that is dark that needs him. So, but yet we seem to be surprised when challenges come and our faith has to be proved genuine. It's like, hang on, that's not our Christianity. Our Christianity is a nice, comfortable one. We're, we're, this, is, this, is, this is England. This is Great Britain. We have a, we have a, we've had a queen for 70 years. We now have a king. You know, it's like, come on. But for a lot of the world, their Christianity doesn't look like ours. It's one that's proved under pressure, under persecution and, and things that we don't face necessarily. In, we, have other, we have other things that we need to break through. Ours, our, our, the biggest com confrontation we have as believers is, is compromise, being comfortable. There isn't a pressure to have to pray. There isn't a pressure to have to say, I love Jesus. 
we met some guys, Arab believers, earlier in the year in uh, Israel. Spent a few days with them from different parts of the Middle East. And when you hear their stories and what they're living in, you're like, oh my word, we don't, we don't even, our Christianity is so soft compared to theirs. So soft. We, we crumple at the knees when somebody calls us a name. And they don't like us because we're, you know, and we go, oh, you know, they didn't like me today, they, you know. I mean, there's some of these guys, some of the stories, they, they face death for even saying they're going to be, they're a believer and all the things they're doing. You know, we have, we have a soft belly in our Western church and God wants us to strengthen up. He wants us to grow up a little bit in terms of uh, who we are. So let's jump onto the intimacy stuff. Sorry, I'm not as nice as Jane. And um, so, um, all right. So the Father sent Jesus full of grace and truth. You can't have grace without truth, and you can't have truth without grace. Okay, because grace without truth has no power whatsoever. Truth without grace has no love. Therefore, it's just being like slapped around the face. You should know better, you know. So grace and truth, love, faith and love together. In grace, there is no condemnation, judgment. There is a judgment day one day that we're all going to face. But Jesus said himself, I haven't come to judge. I've come to save. Now, we're here carrying on the ministry of Jesus until he comes again. Judgment is, is, is the Father's business, not ours. We'll cover some of this uh, tomorrow. Um, so we're kind of, some of the things Jesus confronted and all of that, that kind of thing. But let's just jump into the intimacy thing here, okay? Um, and I'm just going to write some things down, as, as the Lord said to me, and make a few comments on, on some of this stuff. Um, without intimacy, we have, we'll have no strength for the, for the, I don't want to call it the fight, for the battle, the things that come against. Without intimacy, we'll have, we'll have no strength, okay? So intimacy with Jesus is not apathy, or sentimentality. To say that you're intimate with Jesus, and also intimacy with Jesus is not romantic. Okay? It's not, you know? So, intimacy is not apathy. It's not switching off and just saying, oh, I just want to be intimate with Jesus. You know, it's not apathy. And it's not sentimentality. Intimacy with Jesus is a kiss of strength so that we are armored for the victories that he wants to see happen through our lives. Did you know that the word kiss um, means to kindle a fire that was never meant to be put out? The word kiss means to kindle a fire. Now, we teach our young people, if you're going out with someone, don't start snogging them. 
because you're going to start a fire that is incredibly hard to put out. And to kiss somebody and to begin a fire, according to what kiss means in the Bible, and in terms of what God intends for a relationship between a man and a woman in marriage, when you kiss, it's supposed to finish with sexual intercourse. Because the fire that is kindled from a kiss is, an, is not supposed to be put out. Are you there? So we say to our guys, just don't start snogging while you're going out, right? Because it's, it's incredibly hard to stop once you get going. Because it's meant to be within the context of a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. Now, transfer that to your relationship with Jesus. When you're intimate with Jesus, when you want to spend time with him and you worship him and you give yourself to him, when you kiss somebody, what are you doing? You're giving yourself. You're giving yourself to that person. You're becoming intertwined with that person. You're exchanging breath with that person. So when we spend time with Jesus, we're being intimate with him. There's an exchange of breath. There's an exchange of expression of love. And there's a fire in us that is kindled when we are kissing him, when we are worshiping him, when we are yielding ourselves with, to him, surrendering our hearts and our minds and our longings and our desires and our this, that, and the others to Him. When we do that and we spend time in, with Him like that, it kindles a fire in us that is not supposed to go out. But it leads to this relationship of oneness and intimacy with Him. So intimacy with Jesus is a kiss of strength where we are armoured with his victory to be overcomers in our lives. And there's enough to try and overcome at this time. That's why intimacy with him is so, so important. The other thing about intimacy, if there's no intimacy, there's no overflow. So us, for our church, God spoke to us earlier in the year and said, I want you to seek the lost in the same way that you seek me. I don't know about you guys, but for us, seeking God is pretty high up on our importance level as a church let's meet with God encounter God and worship and break through and all of that and he, and and what that means the time we give it we plan it we put it in the diary encounter weeks prayer and fasting this that and the other and God said to us the same that with the same passion with the same heart that you seek me I want you to seek the lost now we knew what he meant by that he might write that's that means that's got to come up this in reaching off whoever that's un, unsaved has got to come up here then to the same level as this. So what does that mean? What does that look like? And we had to, as a church, say, God, we don't have a heart for the lost like that. Yes, we've seen a few people saved, but we don't have a heart for the lost in the same way we have a heart for you. But yet, if we have a heart for him, then surely we should have a heart for the lost because you can't have one and without the other, right? In that sense. So he was just challenging some of our, some of the stuff in, in our own situation. And then, so God's been doing a bit of a number. Then over the summer, 
God spoke to us about seeking him. And I'm like, hang on, God, that sounds like a contradiction because of what you said about seeking the lost. Not that we've stopped seeking the Lord, right? But he said, no, he said, if you pursue me and seek me, not just want to encounter me and, and all of that, if you seek me, then there'll be an overflow because you won't be able to contain me in that sense. But if you're not seeking me, you'll find other things will begin to seek you out and take over your life, which has been happening for some people. And <clears throat> so this autumn we said to the church, we're just going to seek God because we want the overflow of his life through us. Why do we want to seek him? Because another thing God has said is you're an oasis for the world. What is an oasis? An oasis is a place where people come for shelter. They come for protection. They come for some water, some food, some supplies. They might need medical care and attention, whatever it is. But an oasis is a place where if somebody's going through the desert and they see an oasis, they're like, we've got to get there because when we get there, they expect to find certain things when they get there. And what God said to us is, I've called you to be an oasis in a, in a drought, in a desert. But people, when they come, they need to, they're going to come with expectation to find things. Are you ready with the overflow of who I am so that when they come, they find what they need? Not just... It's easy to give some food and water, some practical stuff, dead easy. Anybody can do that, saved or unsaved. The thing that people who don't know Jesus can't do for someone else is the power of God. And, and I believe one of the, the, the major differences between how God, what, how God wants the church to be today and going forward is we are the only group of people out of any organization structure, club, business, government, anybody else. The church is the only group of people that has the power of God. No one else has the power of God. No other religion or faith or whatever you want to call them has the power of God. So part of my question at the moment in my own life as well as our own situation is if we believed what we really, what, if we really believe what we know in terms of we have the same spirit that Jesus had that raised him from the dead. We have the same Holy Spirit that did X, Y, and Z through the word. Do we really believe we have the same Holy Spirit in us? Because if we did, a lot more would be going on. Come on, guys, think about it. If we really believed the word where it says believers will lay hands on the sick and they will recover... How many stories of healings and miracles would be going on if we really believed who we have on the inside of us? Come on. And so part of our response when we, we are seeking God is saying, Father, would you forgive me for my unbelief? Because I don't really believe who you are. I know who you are here. But do I really believe who you are in here? Because if I did, things would be different around my life. So it's not, oh, oh, woe is me, sackcloth and ashes, and I'm a bad Christian. It's not that at all. 
Instead, it's God, forgive me for my unbelief. Even help me then in my unbelief to, to, to drop from here to here or whatever I need for this to become a reality. And some of it become a reality is just act upon it, which sounds too simple. Because in our Western culture, we're good at making things complicated. We give all the reasons why we can't do something before we can do something. Well, you don't know my life. You don't know my story. <clears throat> anyway, let's get back to this. Intimacy strengthens, not weakens. Intimacy is where agreement with God takes place. Where there is agreement, God is present. And where he is present, things happen. Matthew 18. Where two on earth agree about anything, anything they ask for. My Father in heaven will... Do you know the word here at all, you guys? Anyway, where there's agreement, there's power. So you just read Matthew 18. The whole chapter, or, or up to 18, 19, I think it is. The first half of chapter 18. Just read it. The whole That whole first half is all about agreement. There's a lot of other stuff in there, but it's actually all com culminating in verses 18 and 19. That Jesus wants agreement in the church. Just read that chapter. He is talking about the church there. Because he said, if there's anybody amongst you is this, that, and the other, go and talk to them, sort them out. And if they don't, take others and this, that, and the other. La, 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 la. But where there is agreement, there is release. There's power. Without intimacy, there's no agreement. And agreement isn't just being in a prayer meeting and standing with somebody. And the person at the front says, right, let's all agree for this. And you just stand with a person next to it, right, let's just agree for this right now. What Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18 is living a life of agreement with one another. And if you read what is in there, uh, we could spend the whole session on this, but if you read what's in there, what he's talking about is make sure there is nothing in your relationships that affects the unity, the agreement, the one-heartedness of who you are. Because if it does, you won't have the same release of power and answer where there's not that agreement. But where two on earth do agree, and he's talking about living a life of agreement, walking together in agreement. And when we walk together in that way, which means we can't have things going on in our hearts and lives towards others and each other, because it undermines the unity and, and the agreement of what God wants them to do to affect the world and transform the world. It's not about having a nice, comfortable church of unity, the reason that Jesus prays in John 17 for unity is so that the world may know that the Father sent him. So the world may know that we are his disciples. Not that, oh, they're the disciples of Jesus in that building. But they come knowing that we're the place to go to because of the needs that they have in their lives. That's why God sees us as an oasis. You're light in the darkness. God's been speaking to us about Joseph in the Bible. He was a distributor of, of supplies and wealth in a time of famine. God has called the church to be a Joseph at this time. We face exactly the same problems as everybody else. Joseph faced the same problems as everybody else. Years of plenty, which we've had. 
for years and years and years in our Western culture. And now we're having the beginning of years of some tough times and drought in that sense. But those who have been sowing into the things of God during the times of plenty have got storehouses of wealth in the spirit and in other ways to meet the needs of those who didn't have a clue what was going on. But when the hits the fan, they'll know where to come. Are you, are you here? So we have to get out of just our going to church on a Sunday mentality. That is not church. That is religion. If people just go to church, we are caught in a religious mindset. I go to church because it is Sunday morning. God is calling us not to be going to church people. He's called us to be disciples of Jesus who are like Joseph's to a culture in a time of famine. He's called us to be an oasis of people that have a full supply of loads of things that people need. And many of us don't realize what we have because we've never been forced into situations to have to give away what we have. What does is, what is, um, Paul say to, uh, somewhere in the Bible? Um, he talks about um, as you share your faith, it becomes... It becomes more real in your life somewhere in there. Or somebody says it in the Bible anyway. You know, I was reading it the other day. And I was thinking, right, there's a certain aspect of what we believe that only becomes real in us when we actually give it away. So just go with me for a few minutes. Are you all right? Is this okay? I'm ranting a bit because I'm just going on at you. Um, so... That means that we're never ready or we never think we're ready. Because if, we, if we're waiting to think we've got it all sussed and all sorted before God can use us or do something through us, we're going to be waiting a long time. But there's only certain things that come alive in us, in our faith, when we actually give it away, when we have to share our testimony, give somebody the gospel, love someone that we naturally don't want to love and be with. Think about this. God, by His Spirit, lives in every single person that invites Him in. Would you like to live in all those people and spend time with them, going everywhere they go every moment of the day? Probably not. There are some people, they walk in the door and you think, mm, I'm going to go and talk to someone else. Or I know if I engage with them, it's going to take a long time. Or that person challenges me. I don't know if I really want to spend time with them. Come on. Am I the only person that goes on up there? <laughs> All right. When, when you're a pastor, you've got, to be friend, you've got to be nice to everyone. You can't walk past people without acknowledging them. Right, you, well, you get back, well, you know, is, is, is Pastor Clive like me? Because the other day he walked past and, you know, and, and, and didn't even say hello or something. It's like... It's funny what goes on in people's heads, but their perception is their reality, right? Anyway, so this agreement is so, so important. A couple of other things. Intimacy is not a style of worship or an atmosphere. So you can be in a meeting and there's a certain style. There's the, the whole worship movement that's going on. On one level, it's brilliant. 
Because hopefully what it's doing is cultivating the church to be a worshipping church where we don't sing about ourselves, but we worship Jesus. That when we say we're going to worship, we worship. And it's that way, not this way. It's that way. We worship Jesus. Now, we know worship is more than, it's, it's how we live our lives and everything, right? But intimacy is not a style of worship or an atmosphere. So people, some, oh, I've got to be careful. Some people, some people, there's a lot of talk about the presence. I love the presence. If we're not careful, that's consumer Christianity. Because we want to be more in the presence of the Lord. And, oh, the presence, the presence. You can go into a meeting where the presence of God is, and you can walk away completely unchanged and carry on like you did beforehand. There's loads of that going on in the church. But if you go in saying, God, I don't like Moses... Thanks for your presence going with me, but I want to see your glory. I want to know you. I want another level. I want to know you. I want to see you. Now, God said in that moment, if you see me, you're going to die, sunshine. So because it's that serious what you're asking. If I really reveal who I am to you, there's not going to be a lot left. Now, understanding that, do we want that heart? Old Testament stuff. If you see God in his glory, you die, right? So that's why he said, if you part, if I part, you didn't see my back, you know, whatever, okay? Now, we know in Christ, we can encounter the glory of God. So is our heart cry, God, I want to know you. So when I come with other believers to worship, I'm not here just to have the presence. God, I'm here to seek you, to know you, to worship you, to encounter you, so that you encounter me, so that you change me. You convict me if I need convicting. You rebuke me if I need rebuking. You encourage me where I need to be encouraged. You strengthen me where I need to be strengthened. You breathe into my life where you need to breathe into me. So I'm coming with you with no agenda except to seek you, to know you, to hunger after you, to desire you. So that this vessel can be full of who you are. Not just your presence, but your glory. Because when you come in your glory, you reveal who you are to me, to others. And something changes. That's how God wants us to be as his, his church. Okay, a couple more. Intimacy is a place of surrender, a place of listening, and a place of obedience. Intimacy is not just your time with Jesus. Intimacy is us living out our relationship with God in obedience. That is walking intimately with him an obedient life. Let's crack on. Intimacy is a walk um, with me, not a walk for me. Can't, we can't do anything for God. Anything he does is him doing it in us and through us anyway. Intimacy carries God's tangible presence in our lives. Intimacy reveals God's heart to us uh, about his heart for people. Intimacy, here's one. Intimacy is an antidote to sin. If you are intimate with Jesus... You won't want to be intimate with other things. Why? Because Jesus doesn't go near sin and other stuff. And if there's an intimacy with Jesus, he is the antidote to sin. There's no point fighting sin. The best thing, 
to it, there's some other scriptures I was going to read here about being a disciple of Jesus. I don't know what page they're on, but they're somewhere. One of them, John talks about, um, he needs to become more so that I need to become less. It's that way round, not the other way round. I need to become less, so I need to get rid of this and get rid of that so that there's room for him. It, John gets it right. He says, no, he needs to increase so that then there's not enough room for me so that I decrease. And that's, that's what it is. If we turn towards the Lord and, and in the midst of stuff, we're like, Father, I give myself to you. I give you this rubbish. I give you the sin. I give you this. But I turn towards you and I worship you and I give myself to you. God brings, you know, this is where discipleship is so important. You have other people walking with you who can help you in the word. Let's worship together. Let's pray for you. Let's develop intimacy with him so that you become less intimate with whatever it is that has a control or is an issue or has first place in our lives. That's why time together as believers is so, so important. That you're with others that are going to challenge in a good way. The word challenge always seems to be a negative thing. But, but uh, to then challenge inspires us to say, no, I want to go after God as well. We want to be in that kind of environment and culture uh, with other people. Intimacy is not a feeling. It is a depth of relationship and closeness. Then this is the last one uh, for now. Intimacy is not in a rush. Intimacy is a place of rest. We live in a, a fast culture, don't we? Everything's rush, hurry, speed, get there, do this, la, 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 la. Fit as much as you can in. And intimacy is not in a rush. When you, when you really love someone, you want to spend time with them, don't you? You don't rush into their presence and rush out because you've got loads of other things to do. You don't mind hanging about, just chatting and being together. And, and be, Why? Because that's the most important thing in that, in that moment. And <coughs> we, we need to make space and time with God that's not filled with other things. So one of the things my dad, you know, Pastor Colin uh, taught was the first minute. I'm sure he's spoken about that here. So when you come and spend time with the Lord, take the first minute, the first 30 seconds, anything you need to repent of and get right with God, sort it. He forgives you immediately. Uh, and then anything you need to give to him, like worries, anxieties, stuff you need to do, things that might be on your mind, give all that lot to the Lord as well so that your time with him, you can just fully focus on who he is, not sit there thinking about, oh, yeah, I've got all this to do and that to do and la, la, la. And, and before you know where you are, 20 minutes has gone and all you've been doing is thinking or you've even nodded off, you know, and because you've been thinking about other stuff. Whereas it's like, Father, I'm giving you this stuff because I trust you. And I surrender this stuff because I want the next 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is, I want to fully be focused. Put your phone there, you know, don't, you know, whatever, during your time of the Lord. Just leave it there, even if it buzzes or pings or whatever, or switch it off or whatever. Um, but just, right, Father, I don't want to be interrupted. I want, I want you, I want intimacy with you. And I don't want to, I'm not in a rush. I haven't got a list of things I'm going to do now with you either. Right, I'm going to read the Bible for a few minutes, then I'm going to pray the usual prayers, give him all my, you know, and just remind him of the things I talked about yesterday because I haven't had an answer for that and I, he might have forgotten, so I'll just remind him again today like I did for the last three weeks. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so 
Here's a question for you. Are you happy not knowing what you think you need to know when you think you need to know it? Are you happy? Because God is, God is not in a rush. Jesus never rushed. He was never in a hurry. People pressured him. Life brought pressures, but he never rushed. Lazarus, he's, he's dead. Three days later, he turned up. I mean, people would have left the church if we turned up three days after somebody died and not gone to help the family. Think about it. They they buried the dead straight. So he, when he arrived, he was already buried, gone. It, these, were his, these were his best friends. He wasn't even there when he was buried. We, we'd be like, I'm out of this church. They don't care. They don't love me. They're not interested. I'm going to go somewhere else. You know? He didn't even, when he, but when he rocked up, obviously, he knew what was going to happen. Jairus, a synagogue ruler, comes up to Jesus. Please come, my daughter's sick and dying, would you come and pray? And he's like, great, let's go. He'd heard, he'd heard Jairus' faith. It was, come to my house and pray for me. She's sick and dying, but if you come and pray for her, she's going to be all right. Jesus agrees with his faith. He said, come on and let's go. The woman presses through the crowd who'd been sick for 12 years. She interrupts Jesus on his way to healing Jairus' daughter. As far as Jairus is concerned, this is the worst time in the world to be interrupted. Jesus, you're too busy. You're coming to my house. Do not stop and talk to that woman. She's being rude. She's interrupted. La, 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 la. And what does Jesus do? He stops and he says, who touched me? And Jairus is going, Jesus, this, there's no time for this, mate. I've already booked you to be at my house in 10 minutes. <laughs> you haven't got time for this. But Jesus, he's not in a rush. He's not hurried. Even when he, has, he had a pretty busy schedule, what did he do? He continually seemed to disappear off to spend time with the Father. Sometimes that was all night. Sometimes it might have been for a short period of time, a few minutes. I don't know. I wasn't there. But we read... From the thing, different gospels, he often went off on his own to a solitary place and prayed. He wanted to be with the Father. Why? Because for him, that was the most important relationship. Intimacy with the Father. I want to cultivate that. That's oneness. Because I want, I, I, partly because he knew, I want to know what's on your heart. I want to be ready for everything that comes across my day or whatever you want me to do. Intimacy with Jesus, so important. And James said something in the last session. If, if we're intimate with him, if we're overwhelmed with him, we won't be overwhelmed with other things. doesn't mean all the pressures go away, but how we handle them and how we live in the middle of them. You know, sometimes we say, God, get me out of here. Get me out of this situation. And God's like, no, you need to go through it because then I'm going to prove who I am in the middle of it. And the other side, you're going to come through going, Father, you are faithful. You are amazing. This is what God did. He didn't just lift me out of it. 
he took me through it and he's even more real to me now than he was before. Let's not shy away from challenge and struggle and whatever else might go on. When I say embrace it, I don't mean you just give it a cuddle and, oh, I'm just going to, you know. But in the middle of it, what does God want to say to you? What does he want to do? In the middle of the context we're in now, what is he wanting you to know of who he is in terms of his faithfulness, his provision, his stability, his strength, his peace, his rest, in all of that? And I'm sure, because it's a kingdom principle, it's better to give than to receive. You're probably going to find the Holy Spirit wants you to be giving to people. And that might look like time. It might look like money. It could look like food. It could look like a bed for the night or two or three or four. I don't know what it might look like in these times. But if we really believe that God is our supply in every way, spirit, soul, body, practically, mentally, emotionally, in all those different ways, what a great time for God to prove who he is. When the world, uh, finish with this, uh, myself and one of the guys who works with me, we were at a meeting, this is last, a week ago last Wednesday, so a lot of the third sector leaders in our, in our area who lead all the different charities for all kinds of things, we're having a, a, a kind of two hours together to basically talk about the, um, the challenge financially at the moment. And apart from one other Christian, well, there were two other Christians there. Uh, apart from, so there were four of us that were believers. I don't, as far as I'm aware, nobody else there was a believer. Um, I think we were the only people in the room that had any hope. There were many things said by individuals about, oh, everybody awesome is in the room. You're awesome, you're awesome, you're brilliant, you're doing a great job, you're awesome, right? And on one level, I can understand that to try and encourage people. But when people spoke about what they were doing, what they were facing, and how they were trying to continue as a charity, and what the forecast looks like for the next two or three years, honestly, I was sitting there thinking, um, am, I, am I just living in la-la land? You know, because... I, I'm not even thinking like that. And I, I, and in the middle of it, it's like, am I just being unreal? Because some of the things people were saying about scenarios and realities and all of that. And, but in the middle of it, it's like, no, Father, we live by a different hope. You are our hope. You are our supply. And, and we can be hope to so many of these different people in the midst of scenarios um, and everything. And so we're going to, it's interesting, everybody wants to continue meeting in this group and they want to hear from everybody. Um, uh, some people spoke and then in the next one, other people are going to be speaking. So we're going to be asked to speak on what we think about the current situation, how we're dealing with it and all the people that we serve, how we're helping them to deal with it. So it's going to be very interesting some of what we're going to say in that environment because it's not where most people are coming from. And even just individual conversations over coffee afterwards, honestly, people were like, it, it was like, not you're being unreal, but can we have a meeting with you? We want to, we can, we work with you then because our whole outlook on life was so different to everybody else in the room. What, I mean, if we can't be hope now, when are we going to be hope? When everybody else is like, 
hopeless and all their funding's being pulled back, cut off, and some they've been told in the new year, that's the end of their funding. And they're like, by Easter, we're not going to exist as a charity. And some of these guys are not, you know, we, our income's 20,000 a year. Some of them are like one and a half million, two million quid. And they're told from February, March, that's it, no more money. And they're like, we're stuffed by the summer next year. We're not going to be here. And they serve hundreds of people across our area and, and community. It's like, oh my word, this is like, you know. So we're a hope to the, our neighbour, but we're a hope on a whole nother level too. Let's stand, let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Just lift your hands to the Lord. And just talk to him yourself. Father, I just yield to you afresh. I surrender to you afresh. You are my Lord. You are my security. You are my supply and my provision in every way, in every aspect of my life. Father, in the midst of the current circumstances, prove who you are. So that what I know about you becomes what I believe. And therefore what I see, because what you believe, you see happen. Father, show me what I know, but isn't what I believe. But it's just knowledge. Show me what needs to become real in my relationship with you and my belief in who you are so that I live and express who you are in a way that I haven't up to this moment. Father, would you use the circumstances around, would you use the circumstances to help prove that my faith is genuine and my relationship with you is real? Not only for me, but in my household, with my family but also with my neighbours and my work colleagues, my friends and those in my community as we reach out in different ways. Father, let the, the reality of life shape and prove the faith of who you are in me so that the story I tell is of the faithfulness of who you are. Maybe just ask the Lord this. Father, would you... By your spirit, just reveal afresh who you are in me, Holy Spirit. That you are no respecter of persons. And what you meant by that was... You don't, you have no favorites. You don't love others more than others. Doesn't mean somebody can you, you, you know, work and use the gifts that others can't and all that. No, you're just looking for someone who's available, someone who's willing. Somebody who says, okay, God, I'm here. I'm available then. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Who do you want to reach? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to pray for? Any needs you want me to meet? I'm available. I'm willing. And God will take each one of us step by step. We moved into our community 20 months ago, where we are now. Didn't know anybody. And step by step, we've begun to know a few people, our neighbors. We did a jubilee party, uh, you know, the jubilee time. And 
40 to 50 people from our community came out into this garden area where we live. And you ended up getting to loads of conversations. What do you do? And all of that. And you end up, well, I lead a church, a church around the corner. Oh, that, what, the one around the corner? The end of Foundry Lane? Yeah, oh, I've been in there. La, la, la. The next thing, conversation. Oh, right. You're, those, you're sort of happy, clappy Christians, yeah? And I'm like, well, if you want to call me that, yeah, that's up to you. Oh, you know, and who knows where it goes? Conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Then one particular neighbor that we're helping at the moment who might, looks like it's going to come and stay with us for a bit of their scenario in their life the first place she came to knowing that she needed help she got in contact with us and she said I, I she put something out on a whatsapp group for our community the only people that replied was us and she said when she talked to us i knew you guys would reply because i thought oh clive and jane they'll probably be the only people so it's like and it's just little by little step by step yeah. Yeah. often we we, we, we say, God, we, you know, I don't know if I can do anything great for you. We can't. What is greatness? It's just loads of little things, yeah. one after the other. When you add them all together, it just looks great. It's a misnomer that we can do anything great for the Lord. But just do the one little thing in front of you, the one little thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. When somebody tells a story, it always sounds brilliant. Oh, flipping out that story. I wish I had that story. But if you really get under the skin, they stumbled into it, didn't have a clue what they were doing, and the other end of it, it sounds like a great story. In the middle of it, they, they were just getting on with normal life, but it was a, a bit here and a bit there and a bit there. Add it all together. Wow, that sounds amazing. So just do the one little thing in front of you, the one little nudge from the Holy Spirit, the one little act of kindness, the, just the one little thing, do it, do it. And it begins to create a momentum, a flow. Something begins to get activated and released. The next thing you know, people are saying, somebody says to you, can you help me? Can you really help me? Because I know actually my point of need, you're the only one I know around here that can help me in your street, in your community. So Father, I thank you. Who we have in us is so much greater than he that is in the world. Who we have in us is all that we need to meet whatever's in front of us in any given moment. We thank you that you want to be proved genuine in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. 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 Wasn't that brilliant? Absolutely brilliant. This afternoon has been spirit and life. It's a very, uh, just full of the Holy Spirit, full of life. And I believe that the messages that have been communicating have become straight, straight to our heart, but it's also a lot of challenge to our heads in this time. And I love some of the things. I could pick up loads of stuff. The hope, to hear the reality of the hope that we carry. We are not going under church. We're going over. And we're going to win in in, in Christ. And I love the power to overcome. There's been an equipping this afternoon of power and a way of intimacy, this relationship with Jesus. You know, if you have been distant, turn back and run in. Just run in. Go straight in. He has, is full on ready. There is nothing in the way. Don't look back. Look from today onwards and run 
run to him because he's the one we're following and he's our life. And so as we move forward as, as a people, encourage each other. Keep um, encouraging and discipling one another in the ways of the Lord. And uh, tomorrow's going to be fantastic, isn't it? Can't wait. Bring a friend to hear about grace. Maybe an unsaved friend who hasn't heard anything about Jesus and his message of grace. It would be an entirely relevant day for an unsaved person tomorrow, okay? So think, be outside the box. God bless you. We'll see you in the morning. Thank you, Pastor Clive and Jane. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Kingdom Faith Southwest. For further information, log on to kingdomfaith.com sw.com